0: G'day guys, I'm Aaron Shields, and this is episode number 46 of the Outback Mind podcast. Do you think you could go 20 years without alcohol? Uh, a lot of us probably couldn't go 20 days. Um, it's a really interesting thing, uh, drinking and how it's sort of uh, embedded in, uh, in our lives and so forth. And a lot of us don't really know life any other way, uh, what it's like to, to go without it and um, what, pos- what positives might come from actually going without it. So today's guest is a gentleman by the name of Dean Beatty. Dean has just gone 20 years um, without alcohol. Um, now, I know Dean from uh, where I'm, I'm from, back in country Victoria. And um, Dean, yeah, pretty insp- inspiring young guy. He sort of uh, hit the bodybuilding scene quite early and uh, got himself pretty fit and looking good on the outside. Um, but on the inside, he was struggling um, with drinking and also drugs. Um, and that sort of escalated until he was around 28 when he quit. And uh, he's now 48, and it's been 20 years since he's... Um, since he stopped drinking so uh, i want to talk to him about that you know how that's sort of changed for him over the years and what what he's learned from it you now dean's uh, pretty well known now in the uh, health and wellness scene in victoria um, with regards to yoga and also doing some workplace well-being stuff and really passionate about men's health and also helping people that have got uh, issues with alcohol to be able to move off it. so i'm sure we're going to get a lot of uh, content from dean today which will be really helpful for People out there that are you know maybe looking at uh, taking a break or uh, making a change uh, in general to their lives. So uh, he's got lots of wisdom and knowledge around this stuff, and he mentors lots of people around the the Melbourne area to be able to help them uh, overcome uh, poor lifestyle behaviours and change their lives. So I'm sure you'll uh, you'll enjoy our conversation. Please uh, support our our primary partner, um, Green Nutritionals, who, who supply and uh, and make. Um, profound green superfoods and their products they they source them from all over the world so they get the best ingredients for what they do Uh, and i really love their products i um, i've been using them uh, for a while and they've they've had a profound effect on my uh, health as well they give me lots and lots more energy and also help me with my recovery with my fitness stuff so i really encourage you to check them out their website is au, and we also get a bit of support from uh, B Primal footwear minimalist footwear if you'd like to check out their site it's just the letter b primal.com.au thanks so much for joining in looking forward to uh getting dean along and uh i hope you enjoy our conversation really uh really really inspiring young guy i'm sure you're going to get lots from this one dean Beatty, welcome to the outback mind podcast
1: thanks Aaron. good to be here
0: it is mate it's uh, such a a pleasure to have you along um you and i used to uh knock about a little bit with more young fellas. Uh, I think we played cricket together for a while, but, um, you know, that was, that was, geez, 35 years ago. That's a long time.
1: It is, mate, back in the Wimra, and all, all I've got, and i shared this with you, the only recollection of cricket is being way too hot and way too long fielding <laughs> in Natty Mark Aaron and uh, frying under the 40-degree Wimra sun, you yeah, know? Yeah, so.
0: that's it, yeah. the, the if we had uh, had the surf beach nearest mate, with more young fellows, we probably would have done that. But there wasn't a lot more to do in Horsham, so uh, we had to do what we uh, what we had to do to to keep ourselves busy and away from the booze, I suppose, back then.
1: Yeah, and that was it. It was all sport. I loved playing footy, not so much cricket, but I loved footy. And, and as you know, mate, in that country town in Victoria, it was just all sport and drinking, which we, which I, I know I did indulged <laughs> in both. You
0: know, yeah, so. we'll talk more about that, mate. So, so tell us about your upbringing uh, back there and uh, sort of what it looked like for you.
1: Yeah, mate. Look, I, you know, we're, we're very. I think you're a year older. Um, it was. It's a very small country town for those who don't know it uh it, there's not much around there's not many bodies of water it's pretty flat um you know my parents did the they, the best they did it was just a, you know my my, my father had a, fa- a farm machinery business there and they, they really worked hard my mum was a nurse before and then after before they got much paid much and they did the best job they could and you know my uncle who you knew was was into sport and and that's what you did. You grew up, you went to school and, you, you know, I became obsessed with cricket and football, I suppose, at the age of 10, mm. 8 to 10, and then just did the Horsham thing. And, you know, mate, like you knew every inch of the town, mate, you know, like if you lived in town, which I did, and I think you did, you, you just rode your bike everywhere. Mm. And it was, it, was, it was a good upbringing. I think I always had a bit of restlessness. You know, we talk about that in alcoholism, restlessness, irritability, discontent. And when I drank, that kind of went, which is Mm. not unique for an alcoholic or an addict. But, um, you know, it was a good upbringing. Um, A bit limited, like, as, you know, in the country, there's not much cultural development. There's no diversity. I don't really embrace anything different. So, you know, I'm lucky I got into sport. You wouldn't want to be getting into ballet or the arts or (laughs) anything a bit different, you know.
0: Yeah, mate, I'm, I'm hearing you. I knew I was a bit of a square peg in a round hole. Um, or vice versa. Back then, um, you know, I was doing what I had to do to to get by. But you know, all the creative stuff that I wanted to do wasn't accessible, I suppose. And there was probably many young fellows like ourselves, which were you know sort of yearning for other things that we just didn't have access to.
1: You're right, and I look back, and even my Year 12 advice at school, I would have loved to have done something like sports journalism. I was tipped into economics. I, I didn't even have a maths background, so whoever the career advisor was, <laughs> I came to uni completely ill-prepared. My economics degree at La Trobe was full of microeconomics and um, statistical analysis, and, and, like, I had no way of doing it, so I just didn't do it, and I did all right with the, the macroeconomics, but the other side and the history side, but the, the maths side, I had... You know that was just, that's a shortcoming sometimes of a country town. You're right. There's not, you know, there's some great things about it, but not everyone's designed for it. You know, and I probably wasn't. I mm. know I wasn't. You know.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's it's interesting. Like, it's some like a lot of families are, are all you know going down the same path, but there's usually one or two that came come in which are sort of seeing life a bit different, and what we sort of understand about you know spirituality and those sorts of things is people come into families for a reason that that may be able to you know, sort of take a redirection or re-divert uh, off into other paths. And, um, you know, I know the farm and, and all that type of stuff isn't for everyone. And, um, you know, a big part of this podcast is to try and encourage people to sort of pursue their passions as well.
1: Yeah, you hunt 100%. And, um, you know, but like you say, Mother you know, I do some men's health stuff and some and you look at suicide figures and the country male, yeah, like a disenfranchised. And if, if you are a bit different, heaven forbid if you're gay or, you don't fit into that stereotype that you and I grew up with. It was pretty hard to get by, to be honest. You know, I remember some stuff from high school, mate, that I cringe now, like some stuff and things that were said and things that I would have said and racism and sexism and misogyny. Yeah. And it was just, um, you know, it's just accepted in that time in the 80s, you know.
0: Yeah, we were pretty unconscious, uh, you know, about it yeah. all. And we only sort of followed the patterns and the norm and that sort of thing. But uh, we didn't really have the education around uh, being able to uh, be a bit more self-aware back then I
1: guess 100% and uh, yeah for that it is the temper of the times you can't blame yourself for it But like you're saying I I like what you're doing and, and we've gone some definitely some similar paths that I've seen about and, you know time to help change that a little bit as well if you can, you know
0: So when when did the booze and that start for you when you're your young fella?
1: Yeah, well, mate, it's, it's funny you know, Horsham. like I you know as a 14 year old my grandfather who was involved with homers the, the you know i remember going to his 60th i believe it was my first drink and it was like a um, we talk about it i'm in 12 step recovery and we talk about that in those meetings that it was like a spiritual experience for me like all the yeah. the angst and all the negativity and anxiety and all the stuff i felt about myself that we all know about as men and as people it just disappeared it melted away i had a drink and i loved it and yeah. my first drink was a blackout i drank excessively and i like i threw up and I talked to a girl and I thought, well, you know, I woke up the next day, got put to bed and I thought, you know, I was 13, when can I do that again, you know, mm, and um, and yeah. and then and that continued on. Oh, that was my pattern through the through the drinking time, abortion, blue light, like this goes between school socials, um, mm. playing reserves and drinking with the guys, playing reserves as a 16 year old and thinking, how good's this and the mm. after parties and the drinking and all the men and feeling warm and connected. But, you know, waking up the next day, blacking out and often, you know, drastically overshooting the mark and nearly getting run over and yeah. scaring my parents and scaring myself, all, all that sort of stuff, you
0: know. We're both pretty lucky we're still here, to be honest, you know, like a lot of that stuff that you're talking about, I went through as well and uh, I might have been 14 maybe, um, you know, a, bit, a little bit old, older than you, uh, but yeah, 14 I was when I sort of started to get into it and... And then at the cricket club, uh, I remember me and a young guy we were allowed to have our first beers there at maybe 15 and uh, then it was just a regular thing. After that, we, we'd drink after games and, um, you know, drink at Thursday night training uh, <laughs> and all that sort of stuff and all of a sudden it's, it's a, it's a, it becomes a cycle and a bit of a, a pattern you look forward to Thursday nights and Saturday nights and then you crook Sunday and a bit fuzzy in the head till Wednesday and then you do it all again.
1: Yeah, mate, I relate to that. I don't know if we'll get into the cultural aspect of drinking, mate. But as an alcoholic, you know, like I, you know, we, I'm a believer in the disease model of alcoholism and addiction. You know, they say seven or eight percent have got it, and, and like you said, we would condone young drinking, and people like me, you know, that's really dangerous. You know, I I have no off switch, so I could have been hit by a train. I remember many times drinking on the train tracks there, or hit by a car, which nearly happened a few times, or. Mm. Or later on in my life, driving and, and killing someone on the roads, which happens, you know, I relate mm. to people that do things in blackouts and and don't recall and have regret for the rest of their lives. So it's really, mm. I think sometimes as Australians, we've got to say to well, it's not for everyone. It's not a it's not a unsafe drug alcohol just because it's legal. You know, it's 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 the cause of so many hospital admissions and violence and destruction everywhere. I think we've got to give that a bit of credence. Mm. You know,
0: yeah, oh, absolutely. Well, it's. Unfortunately, Dean, you know uh, I've I've had this conversation with others that have been on the podcast here, um, because it's just part of the culture. It's advertised wherever you go. It's in your face consistently. Um, it's really quite um, unique that you know such a a drug that has um, a negative influence like it does, and all the uh, side effects that it actually has is still publicized as much as it actually is, and. Um, you no, know, if there was all these cases with people um you know, dying because of heroin we'd be all over it, but uh, because of alcohol it sort of put to bed a little bit.
1: I couldn't agree with you more and the and the stark one for me is that I live in Melbourne and when it's spring carnival time and we glamorise the blackout, we glamorise the people passed out at the course and in their finery be it the dress or the suit. But if that was heroin or ice as you said, mate, like we would be launching a public inquiry, you mm-hmm. know, so. Yeah, I
0: yeah, agree because it's illegal and um, obviously at the moment, obviously with lockdown too, it's interesting to see the bottle shops are still open.
1: It is, mate. I mean, I work in the drug and alcohol rehab. I run all their wellness and yoga at one of our leading rehabs and our numbers go up and um, this was the first I open. I'm in my lockdown mark four or five here in Melbourne. My golf club had a positive, so I had a an extra one thrown in there, but um yeah, it baffled me at the start that everything else was shut, but the bottle shops were open. And I can give you the statistics about how it grew and, and the problems of problem drinkers and people accessing rehabs and support programs went through the roof. And, and the associated domestic violence, which comes with that, Aaron, and mm. all of the, the negative you know, indicators, really, you mm. know.
0: Yeah, mate, we'll, we'll, we'll just keep on this for a while before I talk a bit about, you know, your, how you've changed and so forth. Sure. But, but with regards to, 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 to booze, um, you know, I, I believe uh, it's been used as a tool to keep modern man pacified for a long time, like to be able to sort of keep the lid on us, to be able to keep us controlled. Mm. And, you know, and, and through that, obviously through through diversity, uh, or diversity like we're seeing now, uh we're experiencing alcohol still being available just
1: to 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 do just that mate i agree with you if you read you know aldous huxley a A brave new world he he talks of a drug called Soma and sport and i mean you only have to look to australian culture that there's a lot you know in my 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 background is sociology that's my degree and you know there is there is an argument that it's used to sedate the masses and to keep the working class in their place and you know could go into a whole different podcast about that but yeah. i don't think there's little doubt that it is if we have our alcohol and we have our sport we tend to be um, pretty well settled and not look at deeper into what's happening and you know spiritually or politically or economically etc
0: yeah that's true uh, it's, it's really interesting you know i was i was sort of numbed out to it all for a lot of years too until i you know things started to change for me but Dean, let's talk about what happened, uh, you know, in your 20s and sort of what what some of the darker moments may have looked like and uh, obviously coming out of that.
1: Sure. So, look, the darker moments for me, alcohol was, you know, and I'm a believer in it, you know, that I'm an addict, so addict, alcoholic, they're interchangeable. I, I never met a drug that I didn't like or try, so everything from acid to heroin, I smoked heroin, a lot of ecstasy, I entered the party scene. I was an everyday dope smoker for five years between the ages of, 23. I went down to uni and my mum and dad were paying for it up front and I blew all that money and all the lies. And, and you know, I'd be ringing up for books or I had this and I'd be using that money, you know, for drugs. And, and, I, and I've made amends as we do in our 12-step program for that. But, um, you know, my rock bottoms were numerous. My my real, my drinking and drugging accelerated between 24 and 28. I was in the club scene in Melbourne and mm. I would quite comfortably go from, I was doing security, I was into bodybuilding and I, I would comfortably go from a Friday night to a Sunday night using lots of ecstasy, lots of cocaine, uh, binge drinking the whole time when I was out, and then trying to come down with whatever on Sunday, volumes, dope, you know, whatever whatever was available really. Sometimes I overshoot the mark many times, and, you know, court cases and driving cars while drunk. And, um, you know, I went bankrupt through that period. I was a little bit estranged from my parents, just all sorts of stuff, Aaron, like being late for my sister's wedding because I was smoking dope and just. Real selfish, self-centered stuff that we I see in hindsight is, is indicative of the alcoholic. But my, you know, rock bottoms. I ended up on the Gold Coast, suicidal at the age of 28. Um, you know, at the loneliest, darkest time in my existence, I was guarding the Versace Hotel. it was being built for about $12 an hour, doing the midnight till 12 shift, and just desperately unhappy. And I kind of looked out over the broad water and. Asked whatever a higher power was, whatever, you know, my conception of God or, or, or the universe for help. And, you know, two months later, I was in a in a, in a meeting of, of uh, a 12-step fellowship and that, that helped. But I had numerous rock bottoms up there, mate, picking up cigarette butts off the ground and having no money and um, all sorts of debauchery that we could go into on this podcast. But just real soulless uh you know like not knowing whether it was morning or night the alcoholic dawn we call it. I, mm. we call it. i would wake up and not know it was 6 a.m or 6 p.m and um mm. family trying to help but they're a long way away and you know and I, I i finally put the drink down up there and my father had to come and pick me up we never had a great relationship but I'm, I'm very he's passed away but i'm very grateful he did that left his business in horsham and came and picked me up and then i i went back to horsham i drank a few more times and then I finally got it in in March of two thousand and one. I got sober, but um, it was a very the last couple of years. There was no fun really left in my drinking. It was drinking Aaron to shut up what was happening in my head to shut down the the voices, the anxiety, the negativity. That um, you know, that we have different practices for. You know, in twelve step we have our practices, yoga, spirituality. You know, breath work, whatever it is. But there's there's definitely something. That was in my head that wasn't wishing me well, and I was trying to suppress it. So it was a really, yeah, really dark time. So different from my life today,
0: you know. Yeah, unbelievable, mate. It's, 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 geez. You and I both know guys that are still on that path in their late 40s and 50s now, I guess. And um, uh, yeah, it's a really, really interesting one because we just normalize it so much um, and just think it's part and parcel of life. But um, life can be so much better.
1: Yeah, you're right. And, and mate, look, yeah, you know, I know a few guys in the forties and fifties. But if I was continuing on that path at like that speed, what I was going, I, I've, I've had friends that have died. I've had friends that have been sober and recovery and relapsed and died. So mm. it's a real, it's a really, it's a really powerful illness and disease. And it takes many. It doesn't always say it on the death certificate. It might say pancreatitis this or pancreatitis or liver failure there, or but it's alcoholism or addiction. Many, many times, you know. So
0: yeah um yeah it's it's an interesting one absolutely dean um so what did it look like for you getting out of it like stopping drinking and and uh, how did you go about it mate
1: yeah i mean i was um obviously i'm in a i'm in a 12-step program that's uh you know i believe i've had a spiritual experience and it's like people often think that that's a god thing but it's for, for me it's a a belief in a higher power and I can't define it but there is something there so I found myself in an AA meeting um, and getting support and listening and I didn't get it straight away it took me a year or two but the fellowship I needed I couldn't do it on my own I thought in the early days the naivety I was always I was gym and body man I just go back to the gym and get a job and that'll change and that's all right for two or three weeks but when the crunch comes it's not enough I needed support and I needed a support network and I needed the help of others to do it, and I found that in in those twelve step rooms, and um, people rallied around me. They rallied around my family. They they kind of loved me back into recovery. And then mm. I had to look at the twelve steps, which is a uh, process of accessing a, a power greater than yourself, and you know repairing the damage of the past and going forward. But it was those initial steps to get support, which has been the big thing that's changed me for sure.
0: Yeah, I guess, and and people in your family may not have understood or had the ability to be able to sort of see where you're at and be able to recognize what was going on within you to to give you that support
1: yeah and i I just don't think it's it's like how it works for me today is i I help other guys because until you've been through it or you know it um it's really hard to understand it like people would say things like just put it down or why don't you just stop or why don't you moderate and for me i can't it's Mm. not an it's not an option and a lot of people in the public don't get that, but people who have been through it or are going through it do. So that's how it works yeah. so well. It's a, it's a support group that, that people know, and, and you give weight to people that are trying to help you because they've been through it, and they're, they're, they're in recovery. They might have been one or two years sober. My, my sponsor, who's I speak to most days, he's you know, nearly 30 years sober, I'm 20 years sober, and I sponsor guys that are 10 or 15, and then I sponsor guys that are in their first couple of months, and that's how... That's how the system works, you know. It's one, one alcoholic helping another, and that's what I needed. Yeah, that's my family as well, really, now, you
0: know. Interesting. Um, I, like, let's talk a bit more about it deeply here. Do you think it's in our bloodstream? Like, do you think because your mum and dad might have drank, uh, that's sort of been passed on to you? And when you drink, it sort of just escalates things, push, pushes your blood sugar levels up, and you, you just can't stop? or.
1: Yeah, I, look, the research, Aaron, and we don't go into it too, so it's, it's it's not an area that's attracted a lot of, you know, biological research, because there's not much money in it, to be honest. Um, it's not like a weight loss drug. Um, mm. But addiction, yeah, there's definitely genetic characteristics that might skip a, a generation. My grandfather had was either a heavy drinker or an alcoholic, but it's definitely to do with the pleasure centres of the brain. So, whereas I someone who has normal sort of levels there might have two or three drinks go look that's enough i've got this on i've got that on i've got family commitments if i had two or three drinks everything went out the window it was just i want more of that pleasure mm. it's a bit like that study with the rats just you know keep hitting the cocaine handle until they die you know mm. they just once it lights up that those dopamine receptors etc i just for me i couldn't moderate or stop i just had to keep going until i blacked out or so i reached a point where it was so toxic i had to detox over mm. the toilet or wherever and um and then i'd I'd get sober and the pattern would repeat itself but for me it was more about stopping that pattern when i was sober not going back to it when i was you know why would i pick up a drink under those circumstances when i was sober that's the part for us that we need to look at
0: yeah and i guess having that support would be would be really important if you do uh, get a craving to go and do it again
1: exactly so yeah yeah, going going to meetings and listening and, and understanding, you know, and making phone calls and, and not letting yourself, you know, go back into the old
0: solutions. So so moving forward, like coming out of it, what, what are some of the well being practices practices that you uh started to implement into your life which uh, which supported you?
1: Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll definitely put that 12-step that support network as a well-being practice, but I was always exercising, even when I was, you know, not when I was on a bender or a binge, but coming out of it, I got sober in Horsham, so I would exercise during the day and, and, and reps. It's like early recovery is like being in intensive care. I do a holistic wellness seminar once a month here at the rehab, and I talk about that, and So I would do that, and and then yoga and meditation became part of my journey as well, things to quiet the mind. I was using exercise to do that, and then more formalised practices came into that, Um, looking – and then after – I was still smoking and and eating a lot of sugar. That was in my early days, and then I needed to look at that to level myself out a little bit, and then, Mm. yeah, yoga became a bigger part of my life, and then the spirituality and meditation and the exploration of different spiritualities and – and, and, you know, I've been blessed to have done the yoga with some of the great teachers and travelled and been to India and spent a lot of time in Bali and practised under some really great teachers, you know, pre-COVID, obviously. so mm. But they're, they're some of the things. But exercise exercise was huge for me, I think, as well.
0: Yeah, like anything to to give you connection, I suppose, by, by moving the body to, to reconnect and see what's going on under the skin. Uh, but also that... that connection connects you with everything else around you and I, I think it just gets us out of the mind so I believe you know for guys in general fitness is a great pathway to higher levels of consciousness so to be able to you know, develop uh, a routine where you can uh, have a discipline that, uh, that works for you and be able to sort of stick with that regularly uh, so you know you can change physically but mentally at the same time I don't think there's enough said about the benefits of mental health uh, with physical activity and, uh, and physical fitness either.
1: And I'm really passionate about that. That's the, I, I work in that space now with, with what I do, and, and you're right. The, the only caveat, Aaron, you and I have had this chat is that you can't exercise your way to mental health, and that's happened with many guys. I've sponsored many guys who think they can get into bodybuilding or gym, and that, that'll be the panacea. But mm. you've got to treat the mind as well. You've got to treat the body, mind, and spirit, you know. And so, um, you know, just by looking good, it's not going to change it. But there is so many benefits from doing the body practices and exercise as well so it's you just need you need some guidance and some support i think
0: yeah i agree and, and certainly like i've observed lately uh, you know i've worked with quite a few athletes over the years and uh you know speaking to some athletes on the podcast here obviously their performance is paramount and that's what they focus on primarily but at the same time they'll hit the wall and they'll, they'll burn out and then that'll that might lead to poor lifestyle behaviors and depression but I just believe if you've got the ability to be able to uh, add some stillness practices into your life when you are, you know, quite busy physically, uh, that just balances everything
1: out. 100%. And I'm a big believer in yin. I've, I've done, I'm a yoga teacher and I've done some yin yoga training. And, and that yin is where you hold and, and breathe into the postures. I think it's a great one for men because you connect with a sensation to still the mind and meditate. And um, it's great for our bodies, but it's so good for our our minds for that quietening aspect and, and slowing it down for sure
0: yeah letting go and surrendering and that's something that we find so hard to do because we're just so tense and uh to be able to let go of that tensions you know really important I, I suppose and I always sort of when I when I talk to guys one-on-one I'll, I'll always ask them what it is that makes them calm and the top three are having a beer fishing or uh, having sex <laughs> you know. <laughs> So, so primarily, um, you know, I want to try and get people to have that sort of feeling of being connected um, without sort of having an intervention and, yeah. uh, and, and yeah. you know, doing some yoga or doing like, something still is, is just a great way to do that. And I say a lot on this podcast, school really taught us to support the economy, but it never actually taught us how to uh, be still and, and connect with ourselves.
1: That's a really good point. I, I, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm you know, the, the chase for the dollar and we're, we're sold that, and particularly men, and I'm a, I'm a member of men's group and, and, you know, a, a gentleman that is very wise and he said it's nice to be part of a non competitive men's thing, you know, because we, we just think, we're, we're told, it's not like, well, fault, it's, that's the system is you've got to achieve, you've got to, you know, you got to crush this guy. And it's all very language of, you know, you got to smash it in the gym. It's very, harsh competitive yeah. kind of violent language a lot of the time Aaron and like you say you got to find some time to be still and support each other and find a bit of peace as well you know
0: yeah for, for me my journey Dean I sort of went into that competitive mode just to basically be successful or be seen as being successful but underneath the compassionate side uh, for myself and, and that was never really explored and um, when I did push my body really hard, I, I found I got settled in the mind and, and then the compassion would come out. But the comparison was also always there, always looking at others and comparing. But it's really a waste of time, you know, and, and the higher levels of consciousness will tell us that if we actually do those things like compassion and kindness and gratitude with the simple things which we, we're so distant from, uh, what we sort of feel a bit weird doing because we're so competitive and comparative, um, that's really where... He's talking
1: more from the heart rather than the head, I guess, and the ego. 100 it, Mate, I, I was a personal trainer in Armadale in in, in in Melbourne for eight, nine, ten years. And in, that's one of our richest suburbs. And I would train guys that were, weren't just millionaires. They were in the hundreds. And, you know, I remember training this guy, property developer, and he was the most depressed man. That's why his family got me to do it. And mm. it just shows that, you know, and if you look at wellness studies and, I'm doing some work in positive. So like once you get over about $100,000, it doesn't really change your happiness. So we just chase and chase and chase. And you can be as miserable driving the Ferrari as you can driving the uh, Tirana, Aaron.
0: Yeah, you know? <laughs> absolutely. But I, I went to the top of the hill and come down again. I understand it. And, uh, you know, I always thought that uh, getting that extra, you know, 10, 15 grand uh, salary pay rise and that sort of was... Uh, was it? But it's only temporary, and then you keep just keep chasing again to try and you know fill a void. But uh, underneath that that void isn't going to be filled unless you actually like um, drop that sort of uh, mentality, because uh, you, you you never you never get anywhere. You're always chasing, and uh, there's, there's just a uh, there's no finish line. Unfortunately, you know. Yeah, hundred percent. Oh, it's a tricky uh tricky thing but that's what life and there the bread comes you know that life puts out for us to be able to sort of chase them and, and we don't sort of get to uh, get too far so it's a tricky one but dean so so coming out of that you've obviously done a lot in the in the well-being space um you know since then it's been 20 years since you you know you stopped drinking um yeah. how's it sort of gone in five-year intervals for you like when did you start in it and how has it sort of progressed to where it is now
1: yeah, it's a really good good question. So the first five years was early recoveries like being intensive care. I don't actually remember a lot of my early recovery because you come out really kind of shell-shocked. And so I was working as a trainer. Um, I got into the, the 12 steps after about two or three years or so and then started to level it out. And then I left the fitness industry after about nine years to work in business development, in uh, which is sales for a corporate health company. And that was at the time when there was funding for for some corporate health programs in here in Victoria. And that was a great learning experience. When I left there in 2012, I started to do my own. So I do, I had worker health and now it's become Reset Wellness and I do one-on-one stuff as well as with businesses, but talking around mental health, um, doing a lot of stuff around Are You OK? Day. I tell my story a little bit, but, you know, I have a program that's support me, which is around positive psychology, which is, you know, the the vanguard of, of... you Know new mental health practices or things that can take us to a, a higher state of well being rather than just you know medication and treating the depression, anxiety, OCD, etc. And I talk mindfulness, exercise, nutrition, all those you know, gratitude, all that which is a tool of positive psychology, all those things that can be used for interventions to make us lead a, a more happy and fulfilling life. So that's the stuff I'm passionate about, and the men's health stuff. So I do more men's health and I'm in yoga and as you are and, and i go on these amazing retreats and it's all women and you know people men jokingly say so that's great but it's sometimes you look around and think these these things are so great i'm getting so much out of learning about eating the right foods and being on retreat and doing the asana and how come more men aren't tapping into this beautiful resource and practice you yeah, know i
0: agree well it's interesting this morning uh i had fifty-fifty in the class that i i had here in Agnes, and. Uh, more guys are coming, and uh, it's so good to see. I'm getting phone calls from people saying, I want to give it a try. I'm nervous. I've never done it before. I said, I was like you once, and I understand. And, you know, I, I it was very hard for me for the first uh, few times, but then I started to settle in, and I haven't looked back. And there's one guy there today, um, you know, quite nervous, but I just supported him, and, and he came come through, and he, he felt tremendous at the end of it, you know. So it was a way for him to relax without drinking or, um, or doing something. Um, That was self-destructive and I guess I I sort of said to him That's a positive way of feeling calm rather than a negative way of feeling calm and he understood that
1: Yeah, that's that's a great way to great way to put it and uh, and you know, I feel like that's like you That's my role is to help men discover these tools and yeah, like, you know, you know, like you said before, you know, gambling, drinking, drugging, sex, you know, we've got all these really instant gratification ways, but they don't lead to any long lasting feeling. It's very transient. And then we chase them again. And and for someone who's addictive, I've had issues in all Mm. those areas, you know, and you can swap an easily addiction for the other one or binge eating at home, or I I can, I can, you know, I can zone out with excessive sport watching, you know, I'm a massive golf and footy fan, but you know, I've got to, you know, anything that sort of disconnects me or takes me away from that spirit is I've got to look at it quite carefully.
0: Yeah, well said. It's interesting, Dean, um, you've just got to watch a game of football and, uh, and or cricket or whatever it may be. You're getting the influences like gambling, drinking, bad eating yeah. thrown at you. So if you're someone with an addiction, it's very hard to actually be in that uh, in that environment.
1: Yeah, you're right. I know, yeah. And I saw some of that work you used to do previously Aaron, and you're right, it's insidious how we sort of package them all together with something that should be really positive and, um, you know, the sporting world is great if, if used properly, but we, we do put a lot of negative messages through it, don't we, you know?
0: Yeah, well, it sort of gets back to what we said before about trying to keep people um, pacified, uh, you know, the working class um, pacified, and that's, that's pretty much the agenda behind it um, at the end of the day, and I just think... Having conversations like we're having now will help people be a bit more conscious of that. Uh, to be able to be more aware and just sort of think, well, shit, you know, I want to watch my team play, but all I'm getting told is to gamble and and eat rubbish and uh, and and have a beer, you know, which is which is okay, but uh, if you're getting bombarded with it all the time, when you do feel a little bit down or flat or unconscious or unself-aware, then they're the behaviours that will uh, will take you down that funnel that's uh, sometimes hard to get out of.
1: Yeah, and you're on. And if you look at you know where the majority of fast food restaurants and and you know junk food outlets are, and they're not in Turak or Armidale or Melbourne. They're all in the outer, you know, lower socio-economic areas, which just totally validates that argument. You know, so mm. yeah.
0: Interesting. What was available when you were back in Horsham, mate? What what were the uh, what was the fast food options back there then?
1: well when we were growing up, um, I don't even think there was McDonald's in the early days, Aaron. I remember. I think. I think KFC came and that was that was exciting, but there was you know there was there was, uh, even back. Jesus, going back way too long, mate. And then they're all there now, like Subways mm-hmm. and McDonald's, and you know all the all the all the, the uh, mm-hmm. all those options have come in. But back then, mate, it was just the fish and chip shop, Aaron. You right, know, down near the right. cage, as you said, up day, and all the old nightclubs and Horsham hotspots.
0: You know, well, it was a treat on a Friday night, or you might go down with your mates at lunchtime and get chips and sauce. But, yes. uh, but, but now, like, it's a staple of people's diets regularly. But at the same time, you know, we're, we're, we've got escalating rates of mental health issues, cancer, diabetes, all these sorts of things, but we're still pushing bad lifestyle behaviours down people's throats. So, you know, I guess the only way to, to reverse that is to, you know, keep sort of talking about positive stuff, um, you know, positive health rather than sort of just health in general, which maybe sort of reinforced through the 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 current models and systems but uh, I guess at the end of the day there's better ways to live and if you can make changes in your life which actually help your physical and mental well-being and you'll start to become a bit more conscious and you know be aware of things that you may not have seen or or experienced before and that's that's the great thing about living to our potential and our capacity because we're sort of we're we're sort of pushed the other way unfortunately I don't want us to uh to reach our potential I guess
1: yeah, you're right. And and that's yeah, you know, that's the message that, you know, I think we try to get out there is that there's, you know, it's, it's got to be a, a total approach. Nutrition can impact on your mental health, lack of exercise definitely impacts on it. You know, lack of meditation and mindfulness practice. I, I listened to interest the sleep is part of what I speak about and you had a great gentleman on speaking about blue light and the impacts of that and, and you know, it just seems that everything that we're we're so concerned with you know, growth and making money and, and, and chase, 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 that we forget about these things. We forget about the well-being aspect of what we're doing.
0: Yeah, that's it. But without that, we don't have anything, do we? Like there's no point chasing the big dollars and the super at the end of it when, when you're not going to be able to live much of a life beyond that. And, uh, that's the carrot that so many of us get sucked into early. You know, we're not actually like focused on the day. Um, what's actually happening to us, uh, at that point in time, our you know parts of our brain haven't been developed where we're actually able to be self aware and be able to observe what's really going on internally, uh, and we sort of seem to mask or avoid that as much as we can.
1: Yeah, I think you're right. It's a it's a very valid point. And hopefully, you know, podcasts like this and some of the options available, there there is change coming, but it's slower and it feels like you know, from where I sit in the, the worlds that I work in that that women are grasping it a little bit quicker than men and so hopefully we can get men to, to understand there's so many, you know, so many great tools and resources and practices available as
0: well. I agree. Now, Dean, how can people get hold of you if they want to touch base about getting you to do some work with them one-on-one or in the workplace or maybe get some support around uh, quitting alcohol?
1: Yeah, and I'm, I'm always happy to chat to anyone. That's how it works. Like I said before, anyone who wants to chat or, uh, you know, is, is wants some more questions about the 12 steps or even my story. So uh, it's resetwellness.com.au. So resetwellness, It's all one word.com.au, And that's... We're just in the process of finishing that website as well, but um, that'll be up in the next couple of weeks. So have a look. It'll have the individual stuff that we do and also the corporate and schools, et cetera, but as I said, you know, happy to drop me an email they will come through to me and I can chat, particularly around if it's a confidential chat around alcohol and what supports might be near you and I've got a very good network around that stuff and that's all done. But that, that helps me stay sober. So, there's, you know, that's that's something I do for free and for fun and, um, you know, it's a passion as well because it's, it's changed, saved my life and hopefully we can impact on others as well. So,
0: What's your email address?
1: My email... Well, that is info at reset or dean at reset they're up and running now so that that'll all come through to me so that's a very good point that's the best way to get hold of me now and then the website will be live in the next week or two but happy for anyone to to do those again so again that's info or dean at dot au. good
0: stuff mate I, I never realized you were doing this and i'm so grateful to see that you're doing your own thing and being able to, you know, get out there and um, have the autonomy to do a Dean's way rather than sort of working under a corporate umbrella, which you might not be aligned with. So well done, mate.
1: Yeah, thanks, Aaron. And uh, I'm liking the world. I've been watching your stuff as well. And it's great to see, you know, coming from our background in the country and seeing that there is something else more than perhaps the message that you and I grew up with, which is which is great. I think it's we're evolving everywhere, which is nice, you know.
0: Mm, yeah, appreciate it, mate. Guys, thanks so much for listening in. I reckon it's really rare to have someone like Dean, just to be so open and honest about this stuff. Um, a lot of guys mask the, the drinking thing a lot, um, and it's really it's really awkward to talk about um, what it's actually what it actually does to us or how it affects us. And you know, Dean was was pretty open uh, with what what it actually did with him. Like as a thirteen year old, first go at it uh, getting to the stage where he did and it sort of continued on from there so um, yeah really interesting um, conversation I'm so grateful for his time to to share that with us um, yeah I really encourage you to reach out to him if you have um, something that uh, you know maybe someone with lived experience like him may be able to help you with I think that's really important to to try and seek some guidance from someone that's already walked the path so um, yeah really really uh, encourage you to do that you want to touch base with me my email is support at outbackmind.com.au. the website is outbackmind.com.au and uh, yeah more good guests coming up so I really appreciate you supporting the podcast and um, really loving uh, bringing you the content and the people that we are to uh, share their stories and experience thanks very much cheers